But we left off with, um, in, in 1 Peter, the third chapter, about the sanctification of marriage, what that meant. <clears throat> and of course, you know, that's individually each of us. And that's, that's a, a tremendous thing, to already be married to Christ and have your need fulfilled, fulfilled by him. Because if not, if you're not, and I'm not, singularly have Christ as my head and my need not fully met, then I'm going to be distracted from him and look to something else. I'm going to look to someone else, right? And so, but again, marriage, the whole, the whole principle of marriage, and that's the individual with Christ in their own individuality and, and intimate relationship. It always speaks of sanctification. And you know, sanctification is, is very, it means it's very sacred and very holy. So again, in marriage, to, if he has an individual, like he has a man, that Christ is everything to that man. The need's already met, doesn't need anything else. And then the woman, he prepared, doesn't need not looking, not even looking. They're so filled. The picture goes into, <clears throat> even in Genesis, the second chapter, Adam was at such rest with who he was, he didn't even know that he had a need. Didn't even know. And that's what it, God had to cause him to be in a deep sleep. And then he took the woman out of, out of the man. And again, that all goes into sanctification. And it's set apart. You know? He already had Eve set apart with Adam. Already had that. And he didn't have to go looking and neither did she. She didn't have to do that. Because again, when you're married to Christ, is your need, are you complete in him in Colossians 2.10? Completely complete in him. Needs already met, Philippians 4, verse 19. And, and then it went into the order. We talked about the order. And God was revealing to us through the scriptures about the order of that, uh, of that marriage. And when it functions individually with both submitted uh, to Christ and functioning in that order, it brings out an amazing purity. And nothing is mixed with it. I don't mix my desires with God's desires. Because if I do, and he hasn't met my desire and fully met me, then I'm going to seek, I'm going to seek to have this desire that's really not of him. And it may be of him, but it just may not be the timing. And so if I'm continually seeking that, am I missing him presently? And I am. And I would be. So that even goes into the individuals. So that way we don't marry out of need. We don't do things out of need. I'm not looking for a partner to be whole. I'm not. Because if I am, then is Christ my all? And is he my all in Colossians 3 verse 11? And he is without any question about it. So that will settle the searching. That will settle that. And God wants us to be settled. Because if we're not even settled with him presently, can I even know what he has for me? I, I can't even know that. And so the enemy wants to get us occupied, you know. And that even becomes a distraction. It becomes a distraction. We're to look away from all that would distract. What's that mean? I, trying to meet a desire when Christ is all ready. And again, in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Who? No. Doesn't say delight yourself in someone future. That's a distraction. That's a distraction. 
Okay, it is. It is. And the desire may be right, but if the timing isn't, is there the provision yet? And is Christ the provision? While you wait, is he enough? So that becomes a distraction. Look away from all that would distract unto Jesus. Because if you're trying to carry a weight, and a weight there, even in Hebrews 12 verse 1, can be a desire that's not of him, or a desire that I want met now, and I'm so occupied with it that I miss him presently. And if that desire, okay, is not given over to him and he's not enough, does it, can it enter into sin and trip me up? in my spiritual walk with Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 makes that crystal clear. Makes it very, very clear in, in those portions. Again, so what we do is, listen, he has got everything about us taken care of. He's met all of our need. That's Philippians 4, verse 19. My God will meet, well, what? Supply. Who's my supply? It's Christ. If that need, if Christ has not met my need, I'm not even prepared for marriage. I will marry out of a need I feel like I'm missing. And when that happens, boy, oh boy. Mm -mm. You know, Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But if you're not satisfied with Him, where are you going to go? Where does your mind go? Do we have settled peace right now? Is Christ my peace? Is he? In Ephesians 2, verse 14. If I don't have settled peace in my own individuality, listen, somehow I'm going to have to meet that. It may be the need for a partner. It may be the need of family. Okay? We don't look for each other to fulfill a need. We encourage each other in our own individuality with Christ, with our need being met. And we encourage one another to keep going. Who? After who? Christ. Because who has met all of our need individually? Who's done that? In Philippians 4 verse 19, Christ has. And so in that sense, I can do all things, what? Through, huh? Through Christ, which what? Makes me mighty, gives me all the strength I need. Gives me all the strength. In other words, I don't have to rely on something else. I don't have to look to the future and miss the present. There's two things. If, if he's not my present experience, remember we talked about the revelation, how the revelation never changes? The Word of God never changes, but boy do we grow in the personal, intimate, experiential application of a rhema. That means it's a personal word spoken to us. Can he speak to me? Personally, me, intimately, personally, if my mind is ahead looking for someone else or something else, can he meet me and is he my present delight? If he's not, then I'm going to marry out of need. Adam didn't even know he had a need. Didn't. He did not. Okay? And that's, that's just the truth of marriage. And that brings it out crystal clear. And, and in the purity of marriage, the whole theme of 1 Peter, the third chapter, the whole theme is sanctification, being set apart. And even think about even what fellowship is, that, that Greek word kinonia that God has brought up to us in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 3. Kinonia, listen to this. God. 
It's the setting aside of personal interests and desires for the benefit of the whole. If I am so occupied with a need that I think that I need to have, am I setting that aside and can I have fellowship with Christ individually and then do I bring that corporately? It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Now, we we also talked about this and we mentioned this too. Um, About, for instance, like a rebuke. God rebukes us. We mentioned, I think it was last night or that morning. I can't remember. But uh, rebuke. Why does he rebuke us? If God rebukes us, what's, what's doing it? His love for us. Something has replaced his love in our experience. So to, uh, rebukes, right? So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Look what it says. And boy, this can get into marriage. This can get into our own personal thinking. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, be not deceived. We can almost say, stop being deceived. Okay, now, could there be desires that we, we don't, we're ignorant of? We don't know that they're coming from the flesh. And if it's not God's timing and provision, where's it coming from? Right? So, uh, be not deceived. So, can, can the enemy give me des- desires to be occupied with and th- thereby deceive me that my need's not being met? He does. Right? Now, also it says in Galatians, in chapter 6, verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. If you sow to the flesh, can we sow to fleshly desires? Can I be so occupied with something other than Christ? It just becomes my whole thinking. This can, be, this can be a circumstance, a situation, a person. It can be family members. It can be any of that. But does any of that replace Christ in my own intimate experience? If everything that he was and did, did it for me individually. Makes him irreplaceable. It makes him uncomparable or incomparable. So it says, be not deceived. Can the enemy give us these desires of the flesh? Or even if they're right desires, we want them now. Remember, God's timing as what? As, as what? Important. As as important as his provision. If it's not his provision at that time, then if it's not and we want it, it's going to replace him in that area. So it says, be not deceived. Right? Evil communications. Communications means companions. Okay. Companions. Corrupt. Good manners. Remember how he went into about corrupt? What is, what is corruptness? Something that's mixing itself with the purity of who we are. Purity. So God, with, through the word, what does he do? He rebukes us. What is he doing? He's trying to say, wake up. <sighs> You're functioning in this area. It's not who you are. It's interfering with my love. You don't have an intimate experience of my, with me. Uh, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Look at verse 34. Awake! How does God wake us up? Sometimes it's a loving rebuke. Right? It's a loving, a loving rebuke. And, and again, awake to righteousness. What does he want us to awake to? Isn't the righteousness a proper experience being in Christ? in our position, and shouldn't that be our experience? Or is something else being mixed with it 
is something else. Awake to righteousness and, and sin not. <laughs> For some have not the knowledge of God. It can be declarative knowledge, and I've seen scores, and I've had to go through that myself, just because I can declare something and even repeat it. I may even know the Hebrew and the Greek on it, but is it my experience? Has it reached my experience? Has God's plan, which is designed to humble me, has it done its proper work? And it, Because, again, we know nothing aside from grace. Grace always precedes knowledge in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. It's got nothing to do with human intellect. We can be spiritually intelligent through the Holy Spirit. We can. We can absolutely do so. And my God, God wants us to wake up. Because where's the safest, most secure place that we have? Isn't it in Christ with Him in us? Why would we want anything else? For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your what? Shame. Okay. Is there any shame in who we are in Christ? Is he ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews 2.11? He is not. Is there any shame in us in 2 Timothy 1.12? Because what does away with that is the constant being formed in our experience in 2 Timothy 1.13, the form of sound words, knowing how to think, to the measure of the purity of who we are in Christ. And so it says that again, I speak this to your shame. When he speaks to us in the areas where there's shame in us, is he speaking to who we are? No, he's speaking to who we're not. And you know what? When something or someone replaces him, what does that ultimately lead to? Shame. Why? It just never fulfilled us. It just didn't. So we're to awake. It's like, wake up. <laughs> Someone's late, you know. They're going to be to a certain time, a certain appointment. And they are, they're just sleeping. Can we sleep in passivity? Can we? Can we settle so quickly? Can we forget him so quickly? And in his love, he rebukes and awakes us, awakens us. Why? Because he's against us? Oh, wake up. <laughs> you're going to miss your appointment. Wake up. You're missing your experience with me, my intimacy with you. And when you wake up and you're, you're late in terms of experiencing him, you're going you're gonna to have to replace him. And boy, does the devil have something in store for you and I when that's not our proper experience. Again, he can't touch our position. Even sin, my sin doesn't even touch my, my relationship, my position, because it can't. And that's why Romans 7, 17, and 20 says, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. But can, can our experience be the sins that we're not? Well, again, when we look at these things and, and, and see them, they're really amazing. They're really, really incredible. Look, this is Proverbs 29. Verse 25, this is what it says. The fear of man brings a snare. In this context, it's not talking about the fear of someone else coming towards you. It's you operating in fear within yourself. And when it's not love, God, experience. When, it's not, when I'm not satisfied with him, and when he hasn't met my need, my need experientially, what do I enter into? Fear. 
Is it ever going to happen? Boy, it's happened to everybody else. What about me? Is there any wisdom in comparing ourselves by ourselves in 2 Corinthians 10, 12? Is there any wisdom in that? No, there's none. So the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man, the word fear here in the Hebrew is karada, and it means anxiety. I get anxious. <sighs> Desire's not met. Okay, <sighs> okay. So then maybe I even enter into prayer to try and do away with the anxiety. Well, who's already done away with that? Who has done away with that? Well, Psalm 55, verse 22 says what? Cast all your what? Your care, your anxiety, your fears, your supposed lack. Cast all your fear. What? Fears upon him, right? Cast all your anxiety, everything about on him, for he cares for you, right? He will never allow the righteous to be moved. Is anything moving you? Do you need anything? Do you need to move from where you are? Spiritually, mentally, physically? <laughs> Do you need that? Or is he not your present occupation? Because if he's not... You're going to rely on a change of a circumstance, a situation, or a change of place. Something has to change. But that's not going to change the anxiety that's in you until it's dealt with by him. And that literally means that Hebrew word, anxiety, quaking, trembling. Just fear, fear. The fear of man brings a what? A snare. What is a snare? What is a snare? In, in the Hebrew, it's mokesh. And it's a noose, a hook, a gin, a trap. Satan's got you trapped. He's got you trapped. How can he do that? A desire I think I need to have met. When I think I need to have it met. And until it's met, I have no peace. Well, I thought Christ was at peace. In Ephesians 2, verse 14. You will keep him in perfect peace, complete peace. In, in Isaiah 26, verse 3. Whose mind is stayed upon who? The desire I want? The change I, I think I need? No. You will keep him in complete, perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. Why? Because he trusts in him. When he's not my trust, my own fleshly desire becomes that thing that I seek and becomes my trust. You know, that's why it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in who? The Lord. And when you trust in the Lord... In Proverbs 3, 5. Now you get Psalm 37, verse 4. Eh? What does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in Him. Make Him. He's your delight. He's fulfilled every need you have. He, he has. Nothing has to change. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord. Then that brings in Psalm 37, 4. And then that keeps me from leaning to my own understanding. What's my own understanding based on? Desires I think I need to have met. No? Right? And again, does the flesh in us desire to be rebuked? You think that's going to stop God because he loves us? What if your child was acting in disobedience to you, doing certain things? What would you do? Would you allow them to do that? if it interfered with your relationship with them? Huh? 
the little kid is sleeping in. It's time to go to kindergarten or go to first grade. And you got to wake up, honey. You got to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> got to go. You got to go. You have to go. And you have to learn enforced humility, enforced obedience, so that it becomes voluntary, so that it becomes absolutely, completely free experiential. And so we see here again, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord will be what? Safe. You know what that means? Set on high. Set above everything. <laughs> right where you are. Nothing needs to change. Unless there is a need. Now, what is the temptation for every single one of us? The flesh with its passions, again, in, in Genesis 3, verse 6, and in 1 John 2, verse 16, the enemy uses those things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He uses all those things to form what we think is desires. And we think it's us. Right? What is the temptation then? I'm going to tell you what the temptation is for every one of us. It's to settle down. It is. There's a reason why when you look at Numbers, the 10th chapter, and all through the book of Numbers, but they were tent people. They weren't settling down on the earth. So that when they heard the word, immediately they could obey and, and go forward or stop. Go forward or stop. Right? There was a reason for that. The temptation is to settle down, not up. The temptation is to live a horizontal life and not a vertical life. Are we a heavenly people or are we an earthly people? The Jews are going to be an earthly people. They are during millennial reign. But we're still going to rule and reign with them above every people group. In Revelation 20th chapter, in verses 3 and 4, even above angels in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. <laughs> what a place we have. Well, listen to what it says. Whoso puts his trust in the Lord will be what? Will be set on high. Now, listen. Song, Song of Solomon 4, verse 7 says, You are all fair, my love. You're beautiful just the way you are. And first and foremost, before you ever marry another person, God created you for Christ himself. Boy, you don't want to mix anything with that until he actually brings that person to you. And in the meantime, you're not occupied with that. You're occupied with Christ. In Luke 19, 13, occupy till I come. Occupy till I meet the desire. In the meantime, am I enough? Is Christ enough? Well, we'll be set on high. Song of Solomon 4, verse 7. You're all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. You're not missing anything. You're perfect the way you are. And then that's why it says in Song of Solomon 4, verse 8, to look up, look from the top. Look from the top. Look, at, look where you are in your position and let that flow into your experience. That's why he wakes us up. That's why he wakes us up. Come on, I mean, you, you, no matter what, you invested in your child, you did everything for them, you supplied their need, and they live in constant rebellion against you. You're okay with that? You would be okay with your child not g going to school on time. You wouldn't wake them up? But if they like, I don't want to, no. That would stop you, would that be love? No, 
No. The temptation is always to settle down, and you know how he does it? He gets us trapped in the snare of his own will. You know, when my will's not submitted to him, even in terms of desires, I become captive in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, to his will. He captures me with his will. And who is our fulfilled will? It's Jesus Christ. He's done that. So we become trapped. We become trapped, not in our position, but in our experience. Instead of being held, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, in the vice of God's love, being constrained. And he has to wake us up at times. He has to rebuke us. Does. Does. And if God loves you, and if he loves me, there's going to be times he's going to rebuke and, and wake us up. And there's going to be times that's going to flow in an order. <laughs> Please remember, in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, I thank God when you receive the word, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, that works effectually in you, that believe. That means you receive it and obey it. It has an amazing effect in you when you submit. And it's really powerful, right? So again, we instead of being held and restrained, okay, and there's two things we can hide in. There's only two. Sin or Christ. That deals with our experience. Again, sin doesn't touch our position, but does it touch our experience? There's two things we can hide in experientially, our sins, our desires, what we want, right? Or in Christ. Isn't it safe to be hidden? Isn't it secure? It is. When you build your house, your experience, on the foundation that Christ is, you're not going to build it on your emotional desires, the sand. Because what does the sand do? It's constantly shifting. Constantly moving. That's the picture of Matthew 7, 24 to 27. So again, instead of being held in the height of his glory by Christ, we what? Instead of being in God's will, having good will, what do we function in? We either will be held and God will keep us restrained to Christ through a yoke in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, and that's why it's good to be taught, to have that yoke when we're young, in Lamentations 3, verse 27. It's good in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, to know your Creator in the days of your youth. A lot of young people here. It is good to know your Creator in the days of your youth, when the evil days don't come upon you. Because if you don't know him then and experience him then, then when the evil comes, what will your experience be? And boy, oh boy, this is amazing. So instead of having a yoke, Satan has a what for you? A snare, a trap. He wants to trap you. And then what happens? And then what can happen with that? Well, that gets into Proverbs 24, verse 21. And believe me, he can, he'll give you companions. If you have fleshly desires as a Christian, he's going he's to bring others that have those same fleshly desires. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.33, be, be not deceived. Don't, stop being deceived. 
Evil companions corrupt good manners. It's the truth. You may think, and I may think, I know enough to be around someone that's in the flesh. And if God hasn't brought me there to be a provision through prayer and being sent, I shouldn't be there because it's not a safe place to be. Okay? It just isn't. But again, in Proverbs 24, verse 21, and again, Proverbs uh, 13, uh, 20, right? He that walks with wise men will be wise, right? will be kept safe. But what? Will be destroyed by those ones that we choose to be with because we have equal fleshly desires as Christians. And we'll settle down, won't we? Everything better be our life. We'll be we'll settle down and do the best we can. We got a plan, and let's do it. Well, in Jeremiah twenty-nine verse eleven, he says, "I know the thoughts that I think towards you, the thoughts of peace. They're never mixed with evil. Never, so that you can reveal and experience my subtle plans for you." And that's what the Hebrew says in Jeremiah twenty-nine verse eleven. So here it is in Proverbs twenty-four twenty-one. It says, "My son." You can put my daughter. Reverence you, the Lord. When I reverence God based upon the revelation of the word and it becomes a personal rhema experience to me, when I have that reverence, okay, will I, will I, and he's the king, that means he's ruling and reigning over me. It's not my desires. He's my fulfilled desire. He's ruling and reigning over me, right? the Lord and the King, and then I won't meddle with them that are given to change. Spiritual one second, fleshly the next. Some think that's the normal Christian life. And the flesh, it's not. It isn't normal. That isn't the normal Christian life. Although a lot of that has to do with our growth. It does in 2 Peter 3.18, combined with our growth, which is confession of sin in First. John 1, 9, and then that godly sorrow that we experience in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 that keeps out worldly sorrow. <laughs> There's never an end to that. There is with godly sorrow. And the end is a proper experience of who we are in him. So again, my son, my daughter, fear you the Lord and the King and stop meddling with them that are given to change. Here's what the word metal is in the Hebrew. It's arab, and it means to what? To braid, to get intermingled, to stop mixing the flesh with spiritualities, thinking, or mixing the flesh with, and being a private interpreter of the scriptures. Listen, when the Holy Spirit is not taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us, we become our own interpreters. We make a Bible according to our flesh. Boy. To, to, to braid, to intermix. Oh, boy. Look at, again, read Psalm 106, verse 35. Read Proverbs 14, verse 10, and Proverbs 20, verse 19. It means to interweave. It literally means to have business dealings with the flesh. To have business dealings with the flesh. And who's controlling the flesh? Do you and I think we're in control of ourselves when we're in the flesh? No. You can't serve two masters in Matthew 6, verse 24. Either Satan is mastering you and I through the flesh, and we reflect him in the experience, of course, not opposition, or it's Christ. It's just that simple. 
It, it's just that simple with all of us, right? So again, to have business dealings. I don't know. And another thing, listen, if you're in business and it's not, it doesn't have to do with the Lord and him and his kingdom and, and the local assembly, if it's not, boy, Satan got a hold of you. You're captured by his will. I want to make that crystal clear. Because you look at from the book of Acts all the way through to Revelations and you will see the proper place with business and money. That's the proper place. You will see it. And I will see it. And so it's to have business dealings or to traffic. To enter into traffic. You know what that means? What, what, did, what was... What did Lucifer do when he fell and became Satan, God's opponent and adversary, and then God's, then all those of us that are in Christ, because he's God's opponent and adversary, do you think that's what he's going to be about us in Christ, with Christ in us? Absolutely. You read Ezekiel 28, 15 to 20. You will see he went and trafficked. When you're not satisfied and you know one area is, dealt with in the flesh, and you don't want to be rebuked and woken up, you know, you're going to look for others, and you're going to traffic with them. And basically, what are you going to do? What are you doing? Slandering God. Saying things about him that aren't true, based upon the flesh. God, we don't want to do that, do we? Because what is rebellion? I don't want to be woken up. I don't want to be rebuked. I want to stay rebellious. Rebellion is as what? Witchcraft. Stubbornness is what? Is as idolatry. What is stubbornness? Will not given over. I'd rather be miserable <laughs> than who I am in Christ set free. So don't meddle with them that are giving to change. It means to exchange. I exchange my freedom in Christ experientially, because I don't want to re be rebuked. I don't want to be woken up. I want to be in some form like the world, because somehow that means success to me. When all of that's, oh God, read 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. That's all going to be burnt up and go away and never be heard from again. Did you know that? All those things that we trust in, that we use to form a false identity, a false image, they're all going away. They're going to be burnt up. You know, he purified the earth with the flood, promised he'd never do it again in, in, in Genesis 9, 13 and 14 by the rainbow. But you will know one thing. When we go into the eternity of eternities, he is going to put the whole earth on fire. And whatever is going to be burnt up and not last, that's not of Christ, will be gone. <laughs> you want to trust in certain riches? That's your success? That's a success? That's what the world says. Word will tell you what success is. It'll tell you how to be. It'll tell you how to dress. It'll tell you everything. Right? Well, so to, to exchange. All right. And then to mortgage. What's a, what's a mortgage? What's that mean? I'll give you this, right? But you owe me something. That's bondage. That's being captured by Satan's will in 2 Timothy 2.26. That's why in 2 Timothy 2.24, the servant, those, the servant, the gifts that men has given and the gifts that they are, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be what? Gentle. Then it says apt to teach, highly skillful in the word of God. Highly skillful. He must not strive, but be gentle, apt to teach. Avoid foolish and unlearned questions. Avoid them. Because they don't lead to anything. They don't lead to anything. And you have to teach others that in 2 Timothy 2.25 that think 
They're opposing the speaker. Think they're opposed, and again, first uh, Thessalonians 2.13, you're not opposing the speaker, you're opposing the one speaking through the vessel. <laughs> you don't have things against that person. Sometimes we thought that because we were ignorant and, and rebellious at times, all of us, in terms of disobedience, in those terms. So, who, who do we oppose? The enemy, right? Who do we oppose? Are we opposing God? Are we opposing other Christians? No, you're opposing yourself. And when you oppose yourself and your flesh, you're going to want to be around other Christians, right? When your will's not submitted, you're going to want to come together and experience Christ. No, you haven't set aside your personal interest and your desires yet. And for the benefit of the whole. Nothing like being free from self, free from false desires, false plans to be free and, and be free in Christ. It's such an amazing thing to happen. So to mortgage, to pledge, Satan says, I'll tell you, hey Eve, listen, if you, don't worry about it, it'll be okay. You can live in a little disobedience because you know what you're going to get from it? You're going to know good and evil just like God. You won't need him to define it. You can do it by yourself. That's what happens when we refuse to be awoken and rebuked. That's what happens to us. We start determining good and evil. And in Isaiah 5, verse 20, we call evil good, good evil. Put light for darkness, darkness for light. We put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. That's what, and that's how we live and constantly got to make this adjustment, adjustment, right? Thank God he's waiting to be gracious, right? In Isaiah 30, verse 18, and we don't turn to the left or to the right. When you turn to the left or the right, you're going to hear a word behind you. Why is the word behind you? What is it telling you? Go forward. Don't go back. And going forward, it means your present experience. And so here we are, as we begin to wrap this up, it means to pledge or to give security. You wouldn't believe how the enemy uses this. I do want to supply things for my wife, yes, but not outside of God's will. Ever. Ever. Because if a woman doesn't have proper headship, right, then her security is going to be, and I understand the nest, the house, and things just right. And I understand those. God's designed women to be that way. But they never replace Christ. If Christ is not your security, you will see in Isaiah 33 and verse 6 what will be our true security. It's the word. It's Christ in us. That becomes our security. Okay? And then how would I even enjoy all these material blessings and creations of God without the Creator? Can I even enjoy them properly? And I can't. I can't and you can't. So what it means then is when you mortgage or you, you give security, you become a co-signer, don't you? Instead of living in Christ and he's not enough, now you want to co-sign. I'm going to make you my co-signer. That's bondage. That is based on a lie. That is based on a lie. Listen. And so then you, you, you become liable for another because you have a debt. You have a debt, right? Listen, God, that's why Christ is your head. And that's why he, you don't owe anybody. You owe love, you owe honor, but Christ is your head. When you reach the age of maturity and accountability, Christ is your head, right? 
And even in that sense, in Matthew the 19th chapter, 1 through 6, and you take that with Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, a a man will leave his mother and his father. And a woman, when she reaches the age of maturity, is going to leave not the honor and love for the mother and father, but that individual, that woman, is going to be married to the Lord as her head. (laughs) She's not little anymore. The boy's not little anymore. And that's literally what it goes into. So, okay, so again, it becomes, we become a debtor or we be to be a guarantee for the life of another. In other words, I need these fleshly desires. If Christ hasn't met me in this desire, then the devil says, here, listen, you know, here, here. That's right. Here, why don't you take this, right? And let me take care of you. Oh, yeah. He wants to daddy us in the flesh, by the way. Because he hates, hates Christ in us honestly does. He hates it because his creator, Christ, has made himself one with you and I. Oh, he can't stand that. He hates you. And, and sometimes we do, and we, we need to get right with things. It's really not even a question of what we do and what we don't do. It's not. And that's Galatians 5 verse 6. It's, it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Really, it's not what we do or what we don't do. It's a dependence that experiences the working of love in that dependence. That's why he wants to wake us up. That's why he rebukes us. His love's doing that. His love is doing that. So as we, again, wrap this up, it means to warrant. Get a warrant, right? And it means to rival. And does he want to rival Christ in you and I through the flesh? Does that, that's what an idol is. An idol in 1 John 5.20 is anything in our experience that competes with Christ in us. That's right. So again, it, what? To risk one's life. You want to risk your experience of true life by not being submitted? I know one thing. I don't. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done that. You take a risk when you get into a mortgage with the enemy, you take a risk because he's never going to fulfill you. The less of the flesh, they are insatiable. They're never satisfied. He wants to convince Christians they have a right in areas, ignorantly or rebelliously, to live in the flesh. You know what the cross did to all those rights? If the cross crucified me in Galatians 2.20, and it did, what rights do I have? If I'm bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, am I my own? I can make my own decisions. Oh boy. Go right ahead. You know, and the thing about misery, we can't even live in misery long enough. We seek for company. Misery loves company. You know what? If you're functioning in Christ and they aren't, listen, not that you don't love them. Stay sanctified. Stay separated and set apart for Christ. Pray. Pray, don't accuse and condemn, but just pray. And that's going to lead into some tremendous things in terms of of taking care of us. So again, it it literally means to to form and and to make me, the enemy wants to make me in the flesh that, that, that I owe him something. Listen, as Christians, okay, you don't owe anyone in, Revelation, in Romans 13, verse 8, but love. You don't owe anything to another's flesh. You do not owe them anything. 
okay? Because that's becoming a debtor to who's ruling them. That's what, that is not fellowship. It is not fellowship for any of us. And so that's going to lead us to Revelations, uh, excuse me, Romans 12 and verse 9. This is Romans 12, verse 9. This is what it says. Let love, who's love? God, right? How did he manifest himself in his love for us? He gave us his son, and the son and the father are one in John 10, 30. So let love be without dissimulation, right? Let it be without pretending. Because if, I, if he hasn't rebuked me, he hasn't woken me up, hasn't dealt with my experience, I come and what am I? I'm a pretender. I mean, it, you know, my position, who I am in Christ in this area, hasn't touched my experience. Where does that leave me? I just pretend that I do. You don't want to do that, do you? You want to pretend to love each other? Because do you? Is my flesh something that, gra that you gravitate towards? Is the flesh in use vice versa? Is that, is that love? It's not love. It's not love. Here is the Greek word for dissimulation. It's anupokritos, or pokritos, and it means without hypocrisy. Stop, you know, God, listen, don't be a hypocrite. Who were the hypocrites in Jesus' day? The religious crowd. Do you know all they sought to do was kill him? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's all they sought to do is kill him. Do you know what the flesh seeks to do in us? Kill spiritual experience in our life. Who's behind that? It sought to kill him the whole time he walked the face of the earth. Do you think he's, the enemy's going to stop doing that with Christ in us? In Colossians 1.27, the hope of glory. You mean a place where he was booted out of? And given to us, even above all the angels, again in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. We're going to rule and reign angels over angels. Did you know that? That's why they've been low in 1 Peter 1, 12. And learn in our life. They're learning things about, about Christ. Ooh, that was an area. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Christ was waiting to be gracious. They missed it. But look, he's still waiting. Incredible. It means without hypocrisy, unfeigned, true. That's what it means. Let love be without simulation. What does that mean? Don't add, don't mix self with Jesus. Huh? You mix water with wine, what does it do? What does it do? Here it is in Isaiah, and I'll read it to you in the first chapter in the 22nd verse. Listen to what it says. Even when he was speaking to Israel, and that's why we can look and glean from these things. And as the hyper-dispensationalists say, Jesus wasn't talking to you. Maybe he wasn't there, but we can certainly glean from it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed and is profitable. All of it. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it's not just the Pauline epistles. First chapter of Isaiah, look what it says. In verse 16, wash you, wash you, right? James 4, 8, right? Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. You cleanse your hands, you sinners. You begin to purify your hearts. You're now walking in purity. There's no flesh involved. You're not mixing it. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. 
Because if it's my doing and I'm not experiencing Christ, then what am I doing? If I'm not functioning in evil and I haven't submitted, boy, it's sure waiting for me and setting up a trap in Proverbs 29, 25. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn. This is what we're doing here these mornings, especially the mornings. Sometimes the nights, but especially the mornings. Learn to do well. Seek judgment, justice. Relieve the oppressed. That should start with ourselves, right? Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will be as well. Look at what it says in 19. If you be willing, you must submit. If you don't submit your will, you, can you be obedient? If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land, all the promises of Christ in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 20. If you be willing, but look at verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, is that a choice? Yeah. If you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with the sword. And for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Look at verse 21. How is the faithful city become a harlot? You go out from him, who's your husband, who you're married to, you go out as a harlot. Let me ask you a question, seriously. How do they dress, the harlots? What do they how do they tempt men? You tell me. How they dress. It's the truth. Again, 1 Peter, the third chapter. And you may not like to get rebuked on that, but guess what? I, in love for you, I certainly don't care. And not intimidated the least. I want to make that clear in my love. Okay? Uh, how the faithful city has become a harlot. Listen to what it says. A harlot. It was full of judgment. It, know, it knew the truth. Not that it didn't. They were destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Huh? And because you don't have that, I'll, I, I refuse you from being a king. I, will, I won't rule and reign over you. That's Hosea 4, verse 6. It's not that they didn't, didn't have the truth. They knew it and refused to be rebuked and woken up. And woken up. Huh? The righteous lodged in it. You had this fellowship, but now murderers. Who's a murderer in John 8, verse 44? Who's a murderer? Who's a liar and a murderer from the beginning? Who caused Cain to be the first human murderer? Him who was the first murderer, who went around and slandered and maligned God. Right? Look at what it says. Your silver, as that always speaks of redemption, we're always bought back, has now become dross. I don't even see the beauty of it. The thoughts of the enemy, the thoughts of the world have started to cover my proper image. Your wine is mixed with water. It's diluted. He who was my treasure is just not so much anymore. Not so much anymore. And again, as we... As we wrap this up, but it says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Oh, hate it. 
Because if there's evil in your experience, you're not hating who you are. You're hating what you're not. Okay? You're hating what you're not. And that's what he rebukes in us. Okay? Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Again, cleaving speaks of sanctification. And there is a proper cleaving in an individual's relationship with Christ as the bridegroom and that believer as the bride. There's cleaving. And then in marriage, you cleave to one another and become one flesh. And that even goes into the beauty of sex and marriage, by the way. It goes into it perfectly. And, we, we, and as the Bible teaches, us, sex is not love. It is an expression Otherwise, it's just lust. And that's why we need to be careful about our outward appearance. Amen? Because he loves us. He is so jealous over us. He wants us all to himself. And if he has another in waiting for you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be looking for that one. No. Because you'll miss your own preparation if you're doing that. You won't even, and you can even miss the one that he has for you because you're so occupied with your own desires. You will miss the one. But even is that the issue? Should I be occupied with that? No. Occupy with him and his jealous love for you. Rest. Rest. Be like Ruth. When it's time for you, when, it, when God has the time for you, he will tell you, how to be prepared, and you will be prepared, and you will be waiting, resting in Christ. Then he's going to send you your Boaz. But you don't have to miss him now and look ahead. Amen? He loves us. So, Father, thank you. We praise you for this truth. And, Father, thank you so much for this loving conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.